Zechariah chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 18. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 18. Then lifted I up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head, that these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up the, their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We do pray that, Lord, you'd guide our time as we study it together. We know, Father, you gave us your word for our understanding you gave us your word for our learning. You gave us our, your word so we might learn even something about you. And tonight, may we indeed learn of you. May we learn from your word. May we learn the truths you would have for our hearts. May we be encouraged by your word and challenged by your word and even convicted by your word. Lord, use me tonight to be a blessing. Give me wisdom from on high. And just guide our time together in this place. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Zechariah, as we have said, is a book of encouragement. Zechariah writes this book as a young prophet. He's come alongside Haggai for a couple of Haggai's prophecies with regard to the rebuilding of the temple and the building of the wall, particularly the temple. Because the temple had started to be built under Zerubbabel, had then gone into de to, uh, uh, a hiatus of time for 16 years because of persecution. Haggai had come to stir the people up to go on to build the temple, and, Ze and Zechariah comes, and his intention is to encourage the people to finish the job. And so this is a book of encouragement, challenging the people to keep on the good works. And the Lord uses a series of visions to reveal unto Zechariah and to his people that very thought that God wants them to be encouraged, that God wants them to carry on. And the first vision was the man in the myrtle trees, which is verses 1 through 17. And the second short vision, in, in a sense, is a continuation of the comforting message contained in the first vision. For it shows how the Gentile nations, against whom Jehovah is very sore displeased, as we found in the first vision, shall themselves be broken up and scattered. How God shall uh, wreak uh, vengeance upon the nations that unjustly treated the nation of Israel. And all these visions were seen of Zechariah in the same night because if you read verse 18, it says, Then lifted up mine eyes. So what he saw of the man in the middle trees and everything involved in that, and what he sees here in verses 8 uh, 18 through 21, and indeed, as you go into chapter 2, I lifted up mine eyes again, okay? These series of visions all take place in one night. It's not a series of visions over different nights. This is all in one night. He receives all these visions. And so he's received the vision of the man amongst the myrtle trees and the men horses and the angelic host going forth to search out the land and to find out the land is peace and at peace, but Israel is not, and 
God's judgment on the nations. And now, in order to continue to encourage them, God gives Zechariah this vision, this vision of the four horns and the four carpenters, the four horns and the four workmen. And uh, the message is centered around Israel in the time of the Gentiles. Now, just to refresh your mind, the time of the Gentiles is the time from the captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, whereby the nation of Israel in 605 BC was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, 586 was the first deportation. But the destruction of Jerusalem, etc. So the uh, beginning of the time of the Gentiles, 586, right through to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to stand upon the Mount of Olives and establish his kingdom, the millennial kingdom. That's the time of the Gentiles. We live in the time of the Gentiles. And so I want you to know with me tonight in Zechariah 1.18, that Zechariah lifted up his eyes and he saw four horns. It says, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked and behold a man. Uh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong chapter. Chapter 18, uh, verse 18 of chapter 1. Then lifted up mine eyes and saw and behold four horns. He saw four horns. Verse 19 goes on to say, And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. You know, over the centuries, Israel has suffered at the hands of uh, the enemy. Repeatedly at the hands of many nations, they have been subjected to persecution, subjected to war, Nation upon nation has sought to annihilate the Jewish people, and yet they have survived. Even in the modern era, the Second World War, Hitler tried to destroy all the Jews by gassing six million Jews and killing them, but Israel survived. In fact, Israel became a nation after the Second World War. And today, if Iran had its way, Israel would be annihilated, but it does survive. The Egyptians have tried it, the Assyrians have tried it, the Syrians have tried it, uh, Hezbollah has tried it, you name it, all around that Middle East. They've all tried it, all desire to get rid of Israel, but Israel survives. And that is because every nation that has sought to destroy Israel has discovered the truth of God's promise to Abraham. Go back with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, way back to the beginning of the nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 12, and commence to read in verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curseth thee, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Every nation that has sought to destroy Israel has found that God will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And every nation that's cursed the nation of Israel has suffered at the hands of Israel, even though they're in unbelief, even though at times they rejected their Savior, rejected their Messiah, even rejected their God. They, a nation who've risen up against Israel, have found this truth to be true that they cannot get rid of Israel. And the message of this second vision to Zechariah is that the nations that scattered them, the nations that have terrified the Jews, will now be terrified by God and indeed overthrown by him. 
And in this vision, Zachariah sees four horns. And this word horn here describes animal horns. One commentator said of this, he said, Horns were a common figure for power in, in the biblical and in ancient Near Eastern iconology, specifically of the Gentile king or willpower. So a horn was often an image that was ascribed to a Gentile willpower or Gentile king. So in biblical times, horns spoke of strength. They spoke of authority. Because of the power, for instance, of the bull or the ox, which expresses its power through those horns. You know, that's how they intimidate their enemy. That's how they intimidate even you and I, well, those horns. Another commentator said, Horns, the pride of the young bull, are an obvious choice symbol to represent invincible strength. As trophies of the hunt, they represent conquest of strength. You ever wonder why it is, you know, when people go hunting, they don't put the tail and the rear end of the animal on the wall? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? You know, why do they stick the head there with the horns on it? Well, that's because that's, that's a symbol of the fact that they were stronger, they were more powerful than the animal they killed. And so this is this imagery here. Okay, horns represent power, horns represent authority. And so the horns speak of that power of those nations that are oppressing Israel. And the four horns are speaking about four particular willpowers or four particular kingdoms that are in view here. In Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 19, Zechariah asked the question. He said, what these? Or what be these? Because we've added be in the English. But he says, what these? And that's what he says in verse 19. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, what be these? He wants to know what these horns represent. Who are they? And in response to the prophet's request for an interpretation, the, the assisting angel explains. He goes on to say, and he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So in response to the prophet's request, the assisting angel says they represent the powers that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Four great world powers that have overthrown the nation of Israel, that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Now the four great world powers that are in view here are Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now, there is a bit of debate whether it's Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, leaving out Rome, but it seems, because of all the other prophecies in Daniel and Ezekiel and everywhere else you go, uh, that the four powers here are not Assyria. They are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, because they are the major four world powers that are in view in prophecy throughout the Old Testament, particularly the prophetic word with regard to the judge of the nation of Israel in the times of the Gentiles. You see, Babylon is the beginning of the times of the Gentiles, not Assyria. And as much as Assyria overthrew the northern ten, king, uh, ten uh, um, tribes of Israel and took them into captivity or destroyed them, Assyria is not included in the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles do not start till the Babylonian captivity. And Daniel makes that clear. Daniel makes it clear that the beginning of the times of the Gentiles is the Babylonian captivity. 
And so it, it is, uh, uh, without debate in my mind anyway, that the four kingdoms here that it's talking about are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now the time of Zechariah chapter 18 to 21, as I said, is the times of the Gentiles, which is the start of the Jewish captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. Go to Daniel chapter 2, please. Daniel chapter 2. And verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherein his spirit was troubled and his sleep broke from him. And you know, I'm not going to take time to read all this chapter, but you know that this story here is about how that uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He sees a, an image. And what he sees is an image with a head of gold and a breast of silver and arms and legs of bronze and feet of iron and clay. Representing the four great world powers. And God says of Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the head of gold. So it starts with Nebuchadnezzar. And that is undisputed. It's not, uh, uh, we're not left to question who the first nation is. It is Babylon. And so at the time of the writing of Zechariah, two nations have come upon the scene, Babylon and Medo-Persia. Because remember the context of the writing of Zechariah is at the time towards the end of the Babylonian captivity. Israel has got, the nation of Israel has gone into captivity for 70 years. That was the Jeremiah prophecy, if you remember that. Jeremiah prophesied that they would be in captivity for 70 years, and then at the end of the 70 years, a Medo-Persian king would set them free. Babylon took them into captivity. While they were in captivity, the Medo-Persians came and overthrew the Babylonian empire. Remember Daniel? Daniel had... King Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. During the reign of Belshazzar, the Medo-Persians came and overthrew uh, Belshazzar. And Darius becomes king. Remember that? It's that same king who then uh, released... Uh, uh, that same kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, is the kingdom that then releases, under the king of Persia, releases the nation to go back under Ezra and under Nehemiah to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. Okay, Ezra and Nehemiah, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And that's where we're situated here in Zechariah. So in Zechariah's day, the kingdom of Babylon has come and gone. Medo-Persia is ruling and reigning. Two are yet to come. The nation of Greece and the nation of Rome. Greece will come under Alexander the Great and overthrow the Medo-Persian Empire. Then the Romans will come and overthrow the Greeks and reign uh, over Israel. Now, while this is a bleak time for Israel, and it truly is, I mean, it's an exciting time. They're about to come out of captivity in Babylon and be back in, this, in their city with the walls built, the gates hung, and their temple, the sacrifice return. It still is a bleak time for them. Because even while they're in the city, they are under Gentile world rule. They're there at the permission of the Gentiles. They're there under the safety and protection of the Gentiles. And so it's a bleak time for Israel. But there is comfort to be found in this vision. For while the present and immediate prospect of Israel looks very bleak, the future held hope for them. For they would not be utterly destroyed, but the nations that oppressed them would be. They would one day triumph. God would give them ultimate deliverance, and they would be in possession of the land from the river Euphrates, the river Nile, as God promised to Abraham, 
they would be in, in, in the authority and their king, King Christ, their Messiah, would rule and reign, King Jesus would rule and reign upon the throne of David from Jerusalem. So there's comfort for them because of what God has promised. They may be in unbelief even today. And they may suffer as they do even today. But they will not be consumed because God promised it. You know, and I always smile when some nation thinks that they're going to destroy Israel and they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the planet. I always smile because I think to myself, well, you haven't read your Bible. Because that's not going to happen. And, I, and Iran can puff and pant and Syria and Syria and the Hezbollah and the Palestinians, they can all, you know, they can stand there in those protests where they come up to the, up to the fence and start throwing stuff over, trying to, to uh, provoke the Jews. And then, of course, the Jews retaliate. And the world media says, shame on the Jews, you know. You shouldn't, you shouldn't retaliate. Well, you know, no nation in the world doesn't retaliate. And I have to smile at that because I think to myself, Israel's in unbelief, but God is still in charge. And that land is theirs, and one day they're going to own all of it again. And the ones who are going to have to leave are the foreign invaders, not Israel. And that's God's promise to them. And that's a comfort to them. And this is also a comfort to us. Because like Israel, we're God's people. And like Israel, the Lord has promised that you and I will be safe. We'll be kept safe by him. You and I are safely kept by our Savior. 1 Peter 1.5 says that we're kept by the power of God. Isn't that a wonderful promise? You and I are kept by his power. No matter what the world throws at us, no matter how dark the days may become, no matter how tempestuous the storms may get, you and I are kept by the power of God. Now think about that. That's the power that created the universe in six literal days. That's the God that said, let there be, and there was. That's who keeps us. That's his power. That's the, the same God who raised Christ from the dead. It's the same God who raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the same God who healed the sick and made the lame to walk and the blind to see. It's the same God who rolled back the waters of the, the, the Red Sea so the nation of Israel could walk through, who stopped the waters of the Jordan. It's the same God who defeated uh, Jericho and Ai. That's the God we serve, and that's the power that holds us. We have nothing to fear, for we're kept by the power of God. You know, Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is a great passage. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And in verse 11 we read this. He says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You know, the Paul, Apostle Paul said that he could be bold in his service for the Lord. He could go through all the suffering and all the persecution as he served the Lord because he was persuaded that the Lord is able 
to keep that which is committed to him until that day. Now, what did Paul commit to the Lord? Everything. That's what he's talking about here. Paul's committed everything to the Lord. He committed his life, his body, his character, his reputation, his life's work. He committed everything that was precious to him to the Lord. Doesn't he say that in Philippians? I count all things but loss that I might have indeed obtain the excellency that's in Christ. I count all things but dung that I might win him. The Apostle Paul had surrendered everything to Christ and he says here in 1 Timothy, I'm not ashamed of Christ because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded without a shadow of doubt that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I've committed my all and I know that God will take care of me. He knew that Jesus was fully able to keep him until that day. What day? Well, that day is the day when Paul would see Jesus. Either by the fact that Christ would come back and take him home to be with him, or Paul would die and go home to be with the Lord. Whatever the case was, Paul says, Listen, I am fully aware of the fact that I've committed all that I am to the Lord, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that. He will keep me safe, and I'll get home to glory safe. I have nothing to fear. And likewise, we can have confidence, you know, in this life, because he has promised to keep us in this life, and we will arrive safely home. Nothing will stop you and I from arriving safely home. Isn't that what he told the disciples in John 14 when they were a bit troubled? He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, the, you may be also. See, here's the confidence. Don't trouble, don't worry about things. Don't let your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe in me? Well, believe this. I'm going away to prepare a place for you and I'm coming again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's the promise of God to you and to me who know the Savior. We have nothing to fear. I know who I am. I have believed that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's a truth for you as much as it was for Paul. It's a blessed truth. The comfort of Israel that they one day will be safely in the land that God has promised is a comfort to you and I because we will arrive in the land that God has promised for you and I, and that's the heavenly land, beloved. We're going to glory one day. That's God's promise. And as sure as Israel will get their land, you and I will arrive safely home one day. That's the confidence we find in this passage. Now, in this vision, there is an unusual description of God's people. At the end of verse 19, he says, uh, in the end of verse 19, he says, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Now, as usual, if there is some quirky way of writing something in the Bible, then what you find is it gives rise to many uh, and numerous fanciful interpretations of the passage. And I read a few this week, and they are rather bizarre about the fact that you know these three names are given to Israel we have Israel uh, Judah Israel and Jerusalem 
But the reality here is that this is an all-inclusive term. What the Lord's trying to do is make sure that the nation of Israel understands nobody's left out. Because the Assyrians have taken away the ten tribes. The two tribes that, have gone, that were left have gone into Babylon into captivity. So you've got Israel and Judah and then Jerusalem. And what's at Jerusalem? It's the remnant. What was left? What was left of that which was just taken away by the Assyrians and that which was left that was taken away by the Babylonians is in Jerusalem. Now if the Lord had said, if the Lord had said that one day God's going to punish the nations that overthrew Judah, how would the Israelites feel? Or those who overthrew Jerusalem, those in Babylon are going to say, well, does that include us? It's just an inclusive statement. This is a statement to not, you know, this is one of those things whereby it's a deliberate exaggeration for the purpose of emphasis so that nobody's left in confusion except the commentators. Okay? He's simply saying this is everybody. This is all of Israel. Whether you be an, of the ten tribes, the two tribes, or whether you're the remnant in Jerusalem, it's all included. The whole entirety of you is going to be there in that day. And which, of course... Uh, will happen when Christ returns. You know, it's simply a description that all those who were scattered, which took place eventually under Nebuchadnezzar, and again under Titus in AD 70, you've got to remember that, the nation of Israel was scattered again in AD 70. Okay, so this is not just those who were back then under Assyria, or back then under Babylon, or the remnant of Jerusalem, but this covers the broad gamut of Israel, even those that were scattered in AD 70 under Titus, the Roman emperor. And you know, the nation of Israel did not exist again between AD 70 and 1948. It didn't exist again until 1948, when they were once again recognized as a nation and back in the land. And this is a promise to those people who are in Israel today. Now, many of them, the vast majority of them, are in unbelief. But the promise of Zechariah is to them. Even though they're in the land, they still live in the times of the Gentiles. You just listen to the media and listen to the world. The world wants Israel to bend and submit. They don't see Israel as being the central focal point nation in that Middle East, as God sees them. They are under the, they're in the times of the Gentiles, even today. And even though Israel's back of the land, she's not at peace. We don't hear a lot of it in the media. But, you know, Israel receives attacks every day. The, 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 their enemy is firing rockets into Israel every single day. And, you know, it's, what, what's happening is somebody's standing outside the cage poking the lion. And then occasionally the lion bites back. That's what we hear in the media. It's when it gets the news because Israel, shock horror did something to the nations around about them. But they don't tell you that for the last 12 months that they've been poking at them, firing rockets over the border at them, you know, and sooner or later Israel says, listen, enough's enough, cut it out. So they let fire, their firepower go, which is bigger than the, their enemies, just to remind them that, listen, we're still here and you can't beat us. But they're in the times of the Gentiles. That's why it's like it is. They're still 
not free in the land. They're not at peace. And the day is coming when this age will end and Israel will dwell in peace. And at that day, the day that they long for, there will be joy. It's a day that we should look forward to, beloved. The day when Israel is in their land and Christ is on the throne and you and I are there with him, ruling and reigning with our Savior as the bride of Christ. What a day that will be. So we have the vision of the four horns, but this vision is not finished yet because as Zechariah continues to look, he sees four carpenters. Look again in verse 20. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Then said I, what come these to do? And he spake, saying, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. So the Lord now shows him four carpenters. The, the vision continues. This is now the defeat of the four nations. Shows him four carpenters. Now the word carpenter here in the original means workers in wood, stone or metal. So take your pick. What, what they really were uh, that he saw. But again in answer to the prophet's request for interpretation, the angel repeated that these are the horns. Notice what he says in verse 21. Then said I, what come these to do? And he spake unto me, saying, these are the horns which have scattered Judah. So who are the carpenters? Well, they're the horns. Okay, it sounds a bit confusing, I know, but bear with me. Hopefully by the time we get to the end of this point, you will understand it. If you don't, come and see me later. I'll try to explain it further. But hopefully you'll get the point, okay? So the four horns, which were the nations that came to defeat Israel, are also the carpenters, okay? So I'll explain that hopefully as we go along. But the answer comes to the prophet. And uh, these are the powers that scatter the Israelites. And he adds that these workmen are divine agents sent by God against the world powers. So the world powers are going to be divine agents against the world powers. That's what he's saying. The very people who, over, who attacked Israel and oppressed Israel are the very nations that are going to oppress each other. Okay? God's going to use the very same nations to overthrow the nations. Does that make sense? I hope so. It did make sense in my head when I prepared the sermon anyway. Uh, okay, so the, the nations are also the carpenters. And God raised up other nations to judge the nation, uh, raised up these nations. Each successive nation had a nation raised up to scatter the people. Now remember that God had promised to curse those that cursed Israel. And the workmen, these carpenters, are instruments of God to take the horns apart. These smiths, these craftsmen, these carpenters evidently carried hammers with them with which they threatened to smash the horns in pieces. And the purpose of these was to strike into the hearts of the nations who had trodden down the nation of Israel fear. Look at the rest of this verse. He says, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head, but these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Just as the powers, when they came upon Israel, scattered Judah, so these four workmen are going to fray 
And the word fray there means to terrify. They're going to terrify the opposing, the oppressing world powers. And the fray, the whole of fray is to terrify or to frighten them. Okay? They were frightened or be scared of the enemy. And these carpenters will bring uh, about the overthrow of Israel's enemies. Now we didn't remember that God promises to break the world powers, to break the powers of those who use their power against God's people. And Daniel chapter 2 helps us understand this vision and understand who the carpenters are. Because in Daniel chapter 2, we have Nebuchadnezzar's vision. And we're not going to take time to read Daniel chapter 2, but you know the story. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. What he sees, as I said earlier, is he sees a mighty statue. And the statue has a head of gold and breast and shoulders of, of silver and uh, a waist of bronze and legs of iron and feet of iron and clay, okay? And a stone comes and destroys the feet of iron and clay and the, the image is destroyed. This is the image that Nebuchadnezzar sees. And it reveals to us the four great powers who God will use to discipline his children. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. This is the time of the Gentiles. This is where God will oppress his people to bring them to their knees so eventually they cry out to God in the tribulation and they cry out of the hills and they cry out to the Lord and the Messiah comes again. And they look upon him and they are pierced and they bow down and worship him. Okay? The four Gentile nations that God is using during this church age, this times of the Gentiles, and this church age in which we live, he's using these to bring oppression upon Israel, to bring them to their knees. But also, the four nations will be cast down by four nations. And here's what God declares. The nations that oppressed Israel will be overthrown by the carpenters who themselves are nations. Babylon was overthrown by Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia was overthrown by Greece. Greece was overthrown by Rome. And we live today still with a place where Rome really has not been defeated. And one day Rome will be revived when the church is raptured you and I find ourselves in glory, then the old Roman Empire will come back together and be reunited under one leader, and that leader will be Antichrist. And the revived Roman Empire will exist with Antichrist as its head for seven years as they oppress the nation of Israel in particular, leading up to the Battle of Armageddon, where the nation of the world, those who are for Israel and those against Israel, will come together eventually in the valley of, uh, of Megiddo, in that valley there in Israel, where the battle will take place, the blood will flow to the horse's bridle, and there will be a great slaughter of mankind, so much so it will take up to three months to bury the dead. So what you have is this succession, and now we have the Roman Empire, who ultimately will be destroyed when Christ comes. That's the stone in Daniel chapter 2. If you remember when we did Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, the stone that comes and destroys the feet of iron and clay, the Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire, it destroys the feet of clay, the image falls over, the nation defeated, and Christ rules and reigns as king. He ultimately will overthrow the reorganized Roman Empire. So the four kings are overthrown by four kings. 
The four kings are overthrown by four capitalists who themselves are kings. The greatest king of all is King Jesus. He'll defeat the final empire, which is Revelation chapter 19. Let's go there, please. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation, this is exciting stuff. I don't know whether you all get excited about it, but I love this stuff. Okay, this is exciting stuff. Revelation chapter 19. And verse 11. And I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine and white and clean. And out of his mouth go a sharp sword that with it should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth out the winepress of the fierceness of the, uh, and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. King Jesus is coming, beloved. And when he does, he will overthrow the nations that have oppressed Israel for all these centuries. The time of the Gentiles will end when the great king comes and establishes his kingdom. Peace will reign. He'll rule with a rod of iron. And for a thousand years, he'll rule from Jerusalem. It's comfort to know that God always fulfills his word. He always keeps his promises. He's always in full control. The Lord foretold of the victory to come. And by the way, we have no need to fear that it won't happen because Babylon came and was defeated by Medo-Persia, as Daniel said. Medo-Persia was defeated by Greece, as Daniel said. Greece was overthrown by Rome, as Daniel said. And there is no doubt and no reason to doubt that one day Christ will come and defeat Rome as God said. The Lord foretold the victory to come. And he brought about the destruction to all but the final horn, the reorganized Roman Empire. And one day he will do just that. And you and I can rest assured that he will also fulfill his promises to us. Antichrist will be overthrown. Christ will reign, which also means that Christ will come back for his bride. You see, in order for us to go from heaven with him to establish his kingdom, we need to be in heaven with him. And we will be raptured one day. Just prior to the tribulation, we'll be raptured. The trump will sound, there will be the voice of the archangel, and you and I will be called up to meet the Lord in the air. The tribulation will happen then you and I will come back with Christ to establish his kingdom and you and I will rule and reign with Christ because you and I have been able to attend the marriage supper of the Lamb because we're his children. You know, the Jews have, in every age were opposed by enemies and equally through the ages the church has been con had to contend with powers and principalities, persecutions and strong and violent at times. And if the Lord tarries, that day may come again. God's people have always been in danger. They've endured wrath, conflict, and death. 
And even today, we face fiery trials, those of us who serve Christ. It is God's will that we should struggle. It's also God's will that we should have the victory. Somebody said this, In the long history of the church, it has proved that no weapon formed against her shall prosper. What has been shown to comfort the people of God, the nation of Israel here in Zechariah, is no less a, current, a comfort and encouragement for the church in this age and the age to come. Somebody said, The angel of the Lord, the divine redeemer, abides forever with the church which he hath purchased with his blood. He is exalted on his throne in glory right now, and he has all the power in heaven and earth, and therefore he can strengthen us in the face of our enemies. We can have confidence in our God, beloved. Our Savior is coming again, and when he does, peace will reign. But until then, you and I must remain faithful, looking for the soon return of our Savior, confidently knowing with the Apostle Paul that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him until that day. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the book of Zechariah. Thank you for the blessing, Father God, of these visions that while they're to Israel, they stand as a great comfort to us as believers because we serve the same God. Lord, may we get excited in the knowledge that prophecy has been fulfilled, is being fulfilled, and will one day be fulfilled. Christ will come, and what a day that will be. We thank you, Father God, that we can say with assurance that we know whom we have believed, and know that he is able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. Let's know this night we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.